Hello, and welcome back to the Heisey Brothers Devotional Podcast. I'm David, and I'm here once again with my brother, Jonathan. Hello, everybody. If you're just joining us, we are in the midst of a theological reading of Genesis. Last week, we talked about Genesis chapter 3, which encompassed the first transgression against the commandment of God not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the subsequent consequences that changed our world and our relationship with the Creator forever. If you haven't already, we encourage you to go back and have a listen to that episode as well. However, it isn't necessary for the purposes of listening to and understanding this episode. So join us as we continue our reading into chapter 4 and beyond. Here we go. Uh, Let's go ahead and read some of the text. So chapter 4 from the NIV. We're getting into Cain and Abel now. So chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of those fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offspring, but on Cain and his offspring he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. I think we'll stop there for now. Yeah, it seems like already in that first chunk, there's a lot going on, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So here we see the expansion of humanity coming forth. You know, despite the fall, there is still a commandment that God has given us to go forth and subdue the earth. And this is the very beginning of it. Um, what do you think of Eve's first words after giving birth? Behold, I have brought forth a man. <laughs> kind of almost... Sounds like a bad dating line today. <laughs> Behold, I have me a man. Yes, well, no. Uh, so, I think you know if this is if if this is to believe that this is Eve's firstborn, which it probably was, um, then we're really seeing the culmination of Eve's expectations, right? Eve mm-hmm. has ringing in her ears the curse from God, right? That she will have pain in childbearing but also that she will bear forth um, this seed that will have enmity or th- that um, that they will be the enemies of the serpent who is Satan, right? So there's this expectation of this savior that's going to come and save us from the serpent, that's going to crush the head of the serpent, right? So, and that's, that's that very literal idea of, you know, the, the fruit of my womb, that she's taking super literally and and to mean no it's going to be someone that that I bear in my womb not you know descendants after descendants after descendants later um in terms of a genealogical line indeed and that's something that we see throughout the rest of scripture too so even you know eventually we're going to get to Abraham and all of this and Abraham is promised that he will have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky which he's already an old man. He's thinking, great, if I can even just have one, that would be amazing. But, you know, th- this is something that God fulfills throughout the course of, of time rather than an immediate fulfillment. Right. You know, so we're also about to see a lot of stuff in terms of the significance of the timeline. Like in chapter five, you get the begats passage, 
you know, which we're not going to cover as much coming forward here, getting a little ahead of our, myself, but um, it's important to know that even from this point, God is setting up the foundations of what will become the covenant people. And we're going to see a few key things coming up here. Absolutely. So the other interesting thing about the passage that we just read, in the very beginning of it, we have the very first instance of sex in the Bible, which, believe it or not, there is quite a bit of sex in the Bible. Sex and promiscuity and and risque things. It's enough to make one blush sometimes. But... Um, yeah, but in this instance, it is actually something that is actually quite beautiful because in my NIV, it says Adam made love to his wife, but in, in some other translations and and really in the original Hebrew, um, they use a a more nuanced word. They say like Adam knew his wife or Adam, Mm -hmm. Adam knew, knew her. So there's an intimacy to that, right? Where you really know someone when you are married to them very intimately. And it's really this this idea of unity and coming together as one flesh that is uh, talked about earlier in some of our earlier episodes about how Adam and Eve were meant to be partners and all these other things. So, yeah, it's just an, an interesting little uh, tidbit there from the beginning of Chapter 4 that we see the very first instance of sex now obviously this probably wasn't the first time that adam lay with his wife yeah but according to this this is the time the first time that adam's laying with his wife you produced offspring yeah so we're getting a lot of firsts here coming up in this passage so we see that uh cain and also abel who came along also appear to become some of the first who are both tending to the land and bringing stuff out of it and also keeping flocks, you know, which Mm -hmm. is also a very interesting step forward for humanity, realizing that they can subdue nature and make nature kind of do a bit of their own command to some extent. Yeah, you can make you you can make nature work for you. Uh, And, you know, animals will reproduce on their own and you can you can encourage them to breed with particular particular mates so that you get certain desirable attributes like like being in a herd and stuff like that so yeah yeah absolutely we we see sort of the birth of agriculture here yeah. uh, in these passages and that's and that's a result of both the fall but also the result of the world being peopled yes. as uh shakespeare would say <laughs> from much ado about nothing but uh yeah the world must be peopled well now now it's happening yep. uh the world is getting peopled so and the the other thing that's really interesting here is that we 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 kind of see these little tiny bits of evidence that adam eve cain and abel are not the only ones around right there are yeah. there are other people about now they might be cain and abel's siblings and family or it could be an entire tribe of people that is already developing but uh the world is getting peopled and getting peopled very rapidly here in in genesis chapter four so and i think we're coming up to another key first that we see here between cain and abel they also make the first offerings Mm. to god now i don't think we know too much about what this looks like you know in other parts of 
um, Genesis and Exodus coming forward were treated more towards knowing like what the altar was like that they might have sacrificed on or how it was burnt or like what portions of stuff like that. This is a little more generic that it's a burnt offering. Mm. But what's interesting here is that Cain and Abel both seem to understand that they need to do something to make some sort of amends with God. Um, and I can't help but read this passage with a little bit of the influence of Jordan Peterson in mind, which I don't take him strictly as a biblical scholar, but I do think he has an interesting idea here where he talks about the idea of having to make sacrifices of the present in order to gain something for the future. Mm, yeah. So in this case, it can be really abstract to draw something specific out of that, but that's a reality that we see in life that we'll have to make sacrifices in the present, like not spending money, you know, putting that money in the savings account for a rainy day or something like that. So that when you need it, it's there. But in this case, I think, uh, making the effort to still have that relationship with God rather than continuing to focus only on themselves right. is a key factor. Yeah. And I mean, sacrifices aren't always only about atonement that was a big part of the sacrificial system that we see later in the sort of the levitical system but at the same time god is looking for devotion and relationship mm -hmm. and he's looking for his people to show him that they are committed to him right so giving of yourself to that end is going to be a way to do that. That's one of the reasons why Christians today tithe. You know, we, we give of our first fruits as a means of showing God our devotion. We don't necessarily have to do it as an atonement for sin, but it's it's an act of devotion and religion. Um, so now the, the the other interesting thing that we see here is in these first in these first sacrifices, there is a difference, right? Now, it doesn't necessarily matter whether or not it's a grain offering or a blood offering of the flock, right? That's more of a coincidence that God was not super pleased with Abel's burnt offering of plants because we see later in the Levitical system that plants are an acceptable, you know, yeah. crops are an acceptable offering to God. But the main difference I think that we see here is, you know, Cain brought some fruits and, and fruits of the soil as an offering. He brought some. But then Abel bought, brought uh, the firstborn of his flock, meaning mm -hmm. the, the best of the best. And the right? fatty portions the of fatty it. The fatty portions. Know? The fat was, was a luxury back then. Uh, and uh, later, later portions of, of Scripture will say that uh, burning fat is a sweet aroma to the Lord, something like that. Mm -hmm. So... Anyone who smoked a brisket can tell you that. <laughs> it is definitely a very pleasing smell, and definitely the fatty portions are the most delectable. Yeah. For sure. So so Abel offered God his best, and Cain not so much. Cain was kind of just going through the motions, probably doing this by rote because mom and dad said that we have to. Yeah. So... Uh, so, and then Cain was angry. His face was downcast because God was not looking favorably on him because, because of his heart. So do you want to read the next part? Sure. And just a quick note before that, I feel like this is also the first time in scripture that we're also noting somebody is angry in the circumstances, mm. which isn't really 
necessarily the first time anybody experienced anger, but Adam and Eve aren't angry at God for casting them out of the garden. Right. They're too consumed by their own shame in some sense in the right. moment. But here we see the fruits of sin coming in a little bit more to take root. So to continue on here, um, reading from verse 5 to recap a little. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, Let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. So let's talk about that little chunk right there. Yeah. A lot of a lot of stuff to unpack there too. Yeah. Again, the Lord is kind of asking questions to which he already knows the answer. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Do you uh, you know, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So so God is trying to reason with Cain here and and say, you know, straighten up and fly right. Yeah. As as our grandmother used to say, she because I would sometimes get out of line. Uh, she'd look at me and say, David, get with the program <laughs> in her Southern Illinois accent. accent. So, uh, yeah, David, get with the program. So God's kind of saying to Cain, Cain, get with the program. Yep. We definitely see this uh, call to change his attitude amongst more things. It's not that he needed to make a trade with his brother and you know, also have a fatty portion to borrow. It mm-hmm. it wasn't about the substance that was brought. It was about the heart behind it. Right. He needed you to know? bring the first fruits of his crop, not just some fruit. Right. Of his crop. Right. And it's it has more to do, I think, with his with the heart behind the sacrifice. We don't necessarily see specifics of that in the written language here, but it's very very strongly implied that Cain did not have the right attitude here that even with his with his sacrifice he was not doing this with the best of intentions he was probably more doing it because he felt that it was necessary uh as opposed to an active an active devotion like we were talking about earlier right which in some ways come to think of it might have even been similar to in terms of the attitudes of the other ancient peoples you know when we think about this text coming from mount sinai you know the israelites that are reading it have been around they've seen a lot of other things so many other ancient cultures were all about making sacrifices to appease these wrathful gods that would come down and smite them otherwise right and yet the point of this is really to create the relationship not to be subject to fear so i think there's one key phrase that i really want to dive into here it's probably like the biggest one of the text is if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you but you must rule over it Mm -hmm. you know so god is really calling cain to morality and in some sense to at least try to overcome the sin you know so we see this sense of pride that came in it was the exact same thing his parents were subject to in the garden, the pride of, well, I know better than God, but now it's a pride of, I'm better than my brother. And I'm very angry that God doesn't see it the way I see it, that, you know, this was just as good. 
when it clearly wasn't. Mm. Right. Yeah, it's there there is that pride element there that that Cain is very indignant over the fact that he is not being accepted by God and his kid brother is. Right. Uh so and yeah, so then we get we get down to the deed itself, right? The uh the diagnosis murder. The yeah. <laughs> the murder he wrote. Um, <laughs> so uh yeah, so now Cain said to his to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. So this is something that's you know, Cain and his brother Abel, it would be like if I said to you, he's using his familiarity with his brother yeah. to lure him into into vulnerability, right? And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Uh, we don't know how it happened necessarily. We don't know the murder weapon. Uh, it could have just been a rock, you know, gr- pick up a rock, smash him over the head, something like that. Yeah, very simple. Uh, it could have it could have been you know an instrument that he had used to to harvest his grain with something sharp. We don't know, but the the big point here is that. Cain did, in fact, kill his brother. But then we get to some other interesting parts here, right? So verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Again, God here is asking questions to which he already knows the answer. Uh, and it's it's for a very specific purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um Again, I think mimicking what we had seen in the last chapter, God is calling Cain to account for what he's done and to repent. Indeed. And I think the interesting thing here is that we see yet even more a downward slope of things. So with Adam and Eve, we see them do blame shifting, but at least acknowledging that it happened. Mm. Here we see Cain saying... I don't know, you know, yeah, like a little fiber. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's but the it's, first sort of false, not guilty plea yeah. <laughs> of, of, the, of the Bible here. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, anyways. Um, yeah. So now the Lord is kind of acting again as Cain's conscience here saying, what have you done? You, you know, you've committed murder. You know, your blood, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Mm. And I think that's an indication of, you know, the sanctity of life that God has created, that we human beings are something more than just other animals because other animal sacrifices are coming. And yet it's a very grave sin that has been committed here. Right. Yeah. Whenever I read this passage, I kind of think of this as like, when you know, when you're, when you watch these movies and, a group of people have come across something that has that's happened from one of the characters that has caused some big tragedy like like the the character opened the door and the zombies are flooding into the room and one of the characters looks at the guilty party and says what have you done 
<laughs> like we know what you've done, but what have you done? You know, it's it's not so much a because you they, this person knows exactly what you did and what the effects are, but it's more it's it's more of a looking at this person and asking asking them to just like give me some sort. Why? What have you done? You know that it's it's that that's kind of the yeah. image that comes to mind for me. So. Uh, yeah, and then listen. Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So God's omniscience is on display here. Yeah. You know, God knows, and is he, he, God's using poetry here almost. Yeah, He's, you know, saying that the very blood is crying out from the ground, um, which is just—I mean, blood doesn't have a mouth. <laughs> yeah, but we know this, but. Yet here's God using this imagery as as it you know I've seen the evidence I know everything why are you trying to lie to me you you are being foolish for trying to deny something that I know for fact is the truth yeah you know and it, it's um, I think that sometimes we do that too we deny we deny the truth of our own problems and sins even to ourselves let alone to our creator who knows all. So then we're moving on to the curse here that happens where God says, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now it's interesting because again, this feels like a furthering of the curse in one sense. And yet it seems specific to him. So why do you think he's getting this curse specifically? That's a good question. Uh, I've, I think God has to show Cain that what he did uh, was not okay and that he needs to repent from it. it. God is calling Cain to come back to some sort of a relationship with him and, and to repentance. But at the same time, there are consequences to what has happened, right? So God's punishments are never necessarily about just punitive they're not just punitive, they're corrective, right? So God is calling, God is using this as a, as a means of trying to correct Cain's trajectory, right? I think that's true. And in some sense, given the sentence here at the end of, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth, I can't help but wonder if that's also just a description of Cain having to deal with this moral conscience that will be on his mind forever. Like, he can't be in polite society of his family the same way anymore hmm. because he can't own what he's done he's unable to ask forgiveness from god let alone his family so he also realizes to some extent if i can kill somebody they can kill me right. and i think that fear is going to drive him to be a restless wanderer and you can't really farm anything if you're not there long enough to do anything right you know at the same time i mean that brings us to our next passage because cain then says in verse 13 Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Right? So he, yeah. he because he has killed his brother, he is very aware of his own mortality now. Now, and again here we kind of see this hint that there are other people about, right? Um, even maybe outside of the tribe of Adam and Eve, there are people in the mm. world that will find him and kill him or maybe he's thinking about 
you know, his later, the later descendants that will eventually find him and kill him at some point. But, you know, he's saying whoever. So not necessarily like my nieces and nephews or my, my brothers and sisters will kill me. It's whoever. So, uh, so there's, there's that implication that there are people in the world then. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Yeah. One of the things I remember, and I think it says that here in my study Bible, is that Nod just simply means a land of wandering. So here we see yet another separation of going from the garden to being settled. And now we're leaving settlement to go out into the nothingness. Mm. You know, so even again, the narrative seems to follow this curve of following away from God even more Mm. as time goes on. Verse 17, Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehujael, and Mehujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zelah. Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubalcane's sister was Naaman. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. So here we see this uh, very interesting sort of culmination of Cain's offspring. Mm-hmm. Some good, some not so good, right? We have Enoch that builds a city, and then we have finally this Lamech person. This Lamech person seems to be not so nice, Yeah, <laughs> to put it mildly. Right, he has two wives, so he's kind of already breaking this—the traditional idea of, of you know, Adam and Eve's model for marriage—and uh, he's killed somebody, maybe in self-defense, maybe not. We don't know what the wound or the injury was. It could have been wounding his pride. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been a slight on his character, as as much as anything else. But because this is kind of a a little poem that that. Uh, Lamech has written here, um, but it's this sort of illustrates that humanity, at least on this side of things, is kind of going from bad to worse. Yeah. Right. I think that's the main thing in all that we're seeing here is, yeah, we're getting a sense of what humanity is starting to do. So we're definitely seeing like some t- technology come forward in terms of musical instruments and tools with bronze and all that kind of stuff. But as we're becoming more scientifically inclined. We're also becoming more sinful at the same time, which is not to say that science is sinful. It's not a, 
you know correlation causation thing by any right. means science is kind of a, a neutral thing it can, yeah, right it's the person wielding it yeah that that makes it good or, or evil like many things indeed so then so then we have the the last little uh bit here verse 25 john do you want to read that last little bit sure adam made love to his wife again and she gave birth to a son named seth saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At the time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So here we, at the end of this chapter, we see a little bit of hope. And yeah. again, we kind of see Eve placing her hope yeah. in Seth, saying, maybe this is our deliverer. But yeah. unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be. If, you know, if the rest of scripture is anything to bear. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess one of the interesting things that we can kind of get an idea from here is that from a very broad perspective, there are people that are choosing to keep their relationship with God. And there are people that are choosing to leave God, which I think is going to make a difference as we see all of the different civilizations in the world. You know, before long, we're going to start seeing Mesopotamian uh, Egyptian, Canaanite, um, all sorts of different ancient Near East cultures that were massive civilizations right. in their own right. Mm. And we have to kind of get an idea of like, well, why didn't everybody choose to stay with the Lord? You know, and it, it seems here that there's kind of a, a priest, a answer to this of from an early time, some people rejected God and chose not to reconcile. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will about do it for us today. Uh, If you liked this podcast, please be sure to subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, You can find this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you and, and be with you always.